Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome, everybody, to The Untold Story. I'm Martha McCallum. It's great to have you with us today. And today, we are very happy to have our friend Doug Schoen joining us. He is obviously one of the most prestigious pollsters and political consultants out there. More than 40 years of experience of uh, watching political campaigns, being uh, part of them as a consultant and an advisor. He's the founder of Schoen Cooperman Research, which is one of the top strategic research consulting firms out there. He was an advisor to President Clinton and New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg. And he's the author of several books. But the latest book that has is coming out, I think September 18th is the date. It's called Four Presidents, Kennedy, Nixon, Biden, and Trump, Leaders Who Changed History in Changing Times, and glad to have you with us. Hi, Doug. Uh, Martha, thank you for that very kind introduction. I'm pleased to be here. Well, it's always great to talk to you. You, you have, um, we've, you know, talked on, on shows for so many years and covered politics together for so many years. Um, I, I want to ask you, I have some debate questions for you because I'm in sure. the middle of debate preparation, but I, I also want to ask you about um, this book. Give, give us sort of the summation, why these four presidents and why so important to focus on them in terms of how they changed history. Well, what I was trying to do, Martha, was my own political consciousness began about 1960. And that was an election where Richard Nixon, who became president in 1968, probably was the victim of voter fraud. And he made the, I think, patriotic and correct decision not to contest a very close election, allowing John F. Kennedy to become president. So there's the contrast there with what we are now seeing play out with former President Donald Trump. We also are seeing John F. Kennedy, who was a centrist Democrat, positioned against the politics and policies of Joe Biden, who has certainly governed more from uh, the left. And indeed, Richard Nixon, despite the tragedy of Watergate, was also uh, a centrist. And Donald Trump brought new voters into the system and governed in a very different way than really I think we've seen in a very long time. So what the purpose of the book is to use those four presidents to trace the fundamental changes in the last 60 odd years in American political life. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I could dig into pretty much everything that you just brought up, but but I'm intrigued by your first point, which is that you think that Nixon was likely the victim of, of voter fraud. C- give us, you know, sort of the thumbnail sketch of that situation, sure. Doug. The most obvious case was the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago, mm-hmm. where Mayor Daley uh, allegedly held back the vote until he saw how many votes they needed uh, from the city to uh, overwhelm the Nixon majority's uh, uh, downstate Illinois. I think there were also 
in the South and Southwest, a couple of states, think Arizona, if memory serves me, mm -hmm. that were very, very close. And President uh, Nixon made the decision that the strength of our union was fundamental and more important than him pursuing his own narrow personal interests. Obviously, what we've seen now with both uh, former Secretary Hillary Clinton and certainly President Donald Trump is that current leaders have not been as, uh, I would say, broad-minded as President Nixon was in 1960. But in those cases, uh, without going too far down the rabbit hole, do you think that there were that there was fraud and interference in those two elections as well? I think both elections were decided fairly. I was upset that my former client, uh, Secretary Clinton, said what she did. And I remain uh, unconvinced that any of the allegations from President Trump or his allies have enough credibility to sustain the amount of energy and effort that he and others have put behind still questioning the 2020 election. So one of the big, you know, looking again back to history for a moment, um, there's a lot of questions about whether or not we might ultimately see this current president, Joe Biden, walk in the footsteps of LBJ and decide that it's time to step aside for various reasons. How, how would you rate the likelihood of that, Doug? You know, until Friday, I would have said under 50 percent. Now I'm pretty close to 50 percent for three reasons. His approval ratings down at 40 percent. Uh, we have a special prosecutor, even if it's someone that the Republicans are not happy about. They're going to look at a bunch of transactions where, at the very least, the Biden brand, as it was uh, described by Devin Archer, was brought to bear to help Hunter Biden's narrow personal interests. And beyond all that, the president appears to be um, increasingly unable to perform at the level that he uh, has performed previously in his career and even at the start of his presidency. So for those three reasons, I think there's a very good chance that he doesn't run, though I do believe today he's in the race to stay. That could change. Hmm. So you don't think that would if you were advising him, would you tell him that he shouldn't run? based on what you just said? I, I would tell them the following. Keep looking at the polls. Keep a low profile. I know the Republicans are upset that he ran a campaign from his basement. This year, I would tell him, run a campaign from the White House. Uh, stop with the Bidenomics and talk about the very real pain the American people are facing. But stay as low profile as possible, because his greatest asset is Donald J. Trump and the degree of polarization and, uh, uh, frankly, legal challenges that Trump and some of his associates are facing. OK, um, let's talk a little bit about what's coming up next week with this debate. Sure. If you were advising the former president, Donald Trump, how would you talk to him about whether or not you think he should participate? Sure. First, I would tell him to participate. I would say that having known the uh, two anchors as long as I have and worked so 
harmoniously with him, I think it's fair to say he will get more than a fair shake. He is dealing with very good, thoughtful journalists who will uh, ask him about the issues facing the country and facing himself. Second, I think as the leading presidential candidate to not participate in the first debate could well hurt him if somebody has a breakout performance. I think many remember that he didn't participate in the Iowa debate in, uh, I believe it was 2016, and he lost narrowly to Ted Cruz. I'm convinced had he participated in that debate, he would have won Iowa in that uh, primary contest. And I think for the American people, given the indictments and given the news of the last few weeks, President Trump owes it to himself and the country to present himself, present his case, and rebut the very serious allegations that have been made against him and to deal with his opponents in a similar fashion. Yeah, um, I agree with you 100% on your first point about the moderators. I think they're going to be excellent, and they will uh, absolutely um, give him a fair shake, uh, as we always have. So I, I think he should take advantage of it as well. We'll see what happens uh, in that regard. So let's talk about the rest of these contenders, most of whom, I mean, the closest right now is DeSantis. In Iowa, he's at 17 percent and the former mm -hmm. president's at 44 percent, I believe. Um, what, what's the opportunity that exists for them? And do you think that the American people remain open minded despite these polls? Yes, I think they are open minded. Trump has a core of maybe 25, tops 30 percent that are committed to him come what may. But I think that of his support, whether it be the 44 percent you cite in Iowa or the 50 percent in some of the national polls, you know, half of that, 40 percent of that, 15, 20 percent are, are subject to change. But Governor DeSantis and indeed the rest of the field needs to make a compelling case for themselves what they're going to do to produce a better future. And so far, I don't think we've heard it from any of them. And I would say to them, with all due respect, the American people and Republican voters are interested in their economic life, the education, health care, the border. They're really not interested in who's going to do a better job fighting woke. I'm not for woke. I'm against a lot of the things that they are opposing. But this is not what's going to decide the presidential election. Well, interesting that you say that. Um, obviously, that's been central to Ron DeSantis's success in Florida. And he, you know, clearly doubled and tripled down on it early on in his run and uh, has not sort of had the takeoff that I think a lot of people expected. But that being said, it's early. And I think this debate provides obviously a, a big opportunity night for him to change that trajectory. So we'll mm -hmm. see. Um, you know, the former president, Donald Trump, has said that he doesn't understand what wokeism is. So that's, you know, sort of something he's laid out on all of that. And he has said that he thinks abortion is a loser issue for the Republican candidates. Do you yep. agree or disagree with that? Well, on woke, I think there are issues like should there be parental involvement in the schools? I think most parents feel they should be involved in the schools. I think there is a sense that identity politics is probably not helpful. I think there is a desire that we have real freedom of speech. So in that sense, I think it's clear. But on the other hand, there are so many uh, now what I would call ancillary issues like the transgender issues that may well motivate people. But that's not really what the American people want 
or expect a presidential candidate to be focusing on. And on abortion, President Trump is right. With the referendum we've had, the Ohio results, the Wisconsin Supreme Court election, we've seen over and over that if the Republicans double down on outright opposition to abortion or six-week limitations, it will be a loser issue. The Untold Story continues right after this. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm not sure that Republican candidates have articulated what the Supreme Court decision actually was well enough, which was that the states would have these decisions. And I think in some ways, these states have given them a good argument to say, look, here's what happens. You know, these these rights are protected in Kansas. They're protected in Ohio so far. Um, They're, you know, the Supreme Court choice in Wisconsin also was a move to protect abortion rights because the Mm -hmm. people of that state had the right to weigh in on their own and and nothing is going to change there. Do you think why do you think they don't make that point more effectively? I think there are a couple of reasons. First, I think the Republican Party on the right, the Democrats on the left are intimidated by their uh, respective right and left wings. And right wing Republicans make it an article of faith that abortion is murder and uh, that we can't in any way countenance it. And I think candidates are intimidated by that. That being said, Martha, I've read the Dobbs decision. You're exactly right. And I would say as a Republican, this is up to the states. I myself believe that there are reasonable limitations on abortion. Where those are lines get drawn, uh, I think, is a matter for the states and for voters to decide. But I think the fact that the Republicans are now doubling down, many of them, on a position that I do believe is a loser could well uh, cost them key states and key votes in the presidential election in 2024. So we talked a little bit about uh, the former president's legal confrontations and troubles that he's going through. What do you think about what happened on Friday with the special counsel appointment of David Weiss? How problematic is this potentially for Joe Biden? You sort of touched on it a bit before. You know, there's a lot of financial documents that exist around all of this. Do you do you think that there is a smoking gun within them? I mean, somehow the money gets from point A to point B eventually. I I, I would doubt, Martha, that there is a document that would compellingly show that Joe Biden received any money, much less the five million that has been alleged. At the same time, it seems pretty clear of two things that Hunter Biden was paying for the Biden family and that many Bidens received a lot of money for things they probably knew very little about. So why would the president not be one of them? Because they understood that keeping the money from him protected his credibility and ability to say, I didn't benefit. So you're saying that they likely funneled it through other family members and gave it to him? Without a paper uh, no, trail? I don't think they gave it to him. I think it went to other family members to take care of family obligations. Right. Uh, but I also think 
that Hunter Biden has real exposure in the same way Paul Manafort did as a unregistered foreign agent under Farah. The judge made that clear in Delaware when the plea bargain uh, blew up. And I think that remains an issue of substantial and significant exposure. And the special prosecutor, Mr. Weiss, has already made it clear that that's an issue that he is and probably will continue investigating. So how do you think the American people view this? When you look at the polls, um, is it a pox on both their houses, uh, you know, or or is it just sort of people are, are just used to all of this and they're going to vote for who they're going to vote for anyway? I think it is a pox on both their houses. I think the American people are deeply cynical to both sides and both uh, uh, candidates. I think they are if we do not have a third party candidate, which is certainly possible. But if we don't, I think they're going to vote their party orientations. And right now, the election results, if an election were held today, would be very close to the outcome we got in November of 2022 from every poll I've seen. Wow. <laughs> um, which is really remarkable, given everything that's happened yes, between then exactly. and now. It is pretty stunning. Um, so everyone I talk to lately, I say, what would you like the Republican candidates to answer? Are there things are there questions that you think should be put to them? I, I the, to me, the number one question is, what are you going to do to bring down inflation, reduce government spending and continue to create jobs and keep the economy growing. I think that is the big question on the American people's minds. And we have really gotten very few answers to that from the Republicans. So, you know, I mean, inflation has come down quite a bit. It's not all the way there. And the Fed is likely to keep pushing until it gets there. But when you listen to the president, he's just touting Bidenomics, sorry, um, Bidenomics. And uh, he says the problem is solved. Well, you look at the polls and that's clear that the American people, 65 percent or thereabouts, disagree with that view. And they're looking for alternative policies. Uh, how do we get the debt, the deficit under control? And, you know, when you go to the gas pump, you go to the grocery store. Inflation is still a very real problem and is probably higher than the three point two percent that's been reported. So to my way of thinking, these are still huge issues. Joe Biden clearly hasn't solved them. The Republicans, in my opinion, haven't fully addressed them. OK, uh, you know, one of the things that you bring up in your book and that you hope um, to sort of give examples of some things that could be fixed in order to reunify the country, I thought was very interesting. And one of them that you brought up was compulsory national service. Mm -hmm. is, is that um, is that something that you think any candidate will get behind on either side? And do you think that the American people will be OK with that, especially younger voters? Well, you know, Joe Biden's already made it clear that his way to get younger voters is to try to eliminate as much of the student debt yeah. that's outstanding as he possibly can. Yep. The Republicans have been silent on service. But my sense of politics is you want to speak about people's responsibility to help their country, as John F. Kennedy did in his famous inaugural address in 1961. And it would be nice if Republicans and Democrats could agree that 
we're in a difficult time, both domestically and internationally, and we need people, whether they serve in the military or do work in, you know, the uh, uh, domestic sphere or overseas in something like the uh, Peace Corps, to help our country and to strengthen the bonds between us. Yeah, I, I mean, it's been a long time since I've heard anyone call on the American people to serve the country uh, in either one of those capacities. We have real serious recruitment issues going on in the military. And I just right. think, you know, after 50 years of voluntary service, I just think it's going to be a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. But I also think it would probably produce a very meaningful change in this country, even if people served. I talked to General Jack Jacobs about this once, and he said, you know, just six weeks between high school and college, you know, or after college, give us six weeks to do basic training. Every young person will then always understand the commitment that other people make when they join the military if they go through that process. I think it's a fascinating idea. I think there's a lot of people who would support it. I just don't know if it, if it could pass. I, I don't know either, but we live in a time where as important as that is, and I agree with you and General Jacobs, sadly, the politicians on both sides see the issue not in terms of helping the country, but playing one-upsmanship to get votes. Yeah, it's sad um, because it's in it the is. solutions category, which people seem to shy, to shy away Correct. from dramatically when it comes to um, a lot of things, spending and, and immigration among them. Um, all right. Last question for you. Who are you? Who are you watching right now as potential emerging candidates? And sure. who do you think is in the mix that could be put on a ticket that might be sure. productive for either side? Sure. Well, on the Republican side, it looks to me like Tim Scott uh, and Vivek Ramaswamy are showing the greatest degree of energy and potential. Now, yes, Ron DeSantis is still in second place, but he spent a lot of money and hasn't moved too far. I think Tim Scott, if Donald Trump becomes the nominee, is probably the likely running mate. But potentially Vivek or Nikki Haley could also be uh, in the running. On the Democratic side, if Joe Biden didn't run, I think it would be most likely that Kamala Harris would be the nominee simply because she's a sitting vice president. And my guess would be Joe Biden, worried to pull out, would do it late in the process somewhere around January. But if he were, for whatever reason, to get out a little bit earlier than that, if that happens, I think Gavin Newsom is chomping at the bit to run and is ready to announce tomorrow if Joe Biden, for whatever reason, as I said, is not a candidate. What about the Kennedy factor? You know, he's drawing 10, 12, 13 percent. Looked at all the polls. I think he can probably get up to 20 percent. But I don't think he's enough of a mainstream figure to seriously rival uh, President Biden in the way that uh, Senator McCarthy did in 1968, going back to my first campaign. But you suggest that the potential for him to run even with Trump Yes. I mean, I believe Trump, if he's the nominee, is going to have to shake things up. What, from the point of view 
of the kind of bipartisanship we're talking about would be more off-putting for the Democrats than a bipartisan ticket of Kennedy and Trump. <laughs> it's hard to imagine. I mean, they're both very strong personalities, so I'm trying to imagine uh, how, how that would work. Doug Schoen, uh, the new book is called Four Presidents, Kennedy, Nixon, Biden and Trump, Leaders Who Changed History in Changing Times. It comes out on September 18th. Doug, always good to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Martha. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with the Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.